above the beautiful Buckhead District of Atlanta, this is your personal transgender scientist, Dana Bevan. It was the year 2000 and Lynn Conway, an engineering professor at the University of Michigan, looked at the official population frequencies of transgender people. It was one in 30,000. Only one in 30,000 people were believed to be transgender. As they say today, she might have called BS, but since Lynn is a lady, she just set out to work to get better numbers. Since the mid-70s, transgender people had been networking outside of medical and mental health clinics and providers. They had formed a loose web of support groups in major cities throughout the United States that provided support, information sharing, and friendship. The groups had acquired lists of accepting providers who counseled and treated transgender people, including those in transgender transition. Until about 2000, the official frequency was 1 to 30,000, or 3,000th of a percent. In case you see such numbers elsewhere, they are sometimes referred to as the prevalence of transgender people. But prevalence refers to diseases, and being transgender is not a disease. Population frequencies are the mathematical equivalent without the pathology, so I use that term instead. From a back-of-the-envelope calculation, Lynn could easily see that the official numbers were way off. They only counted those reporting to government or university clinics. The patients in these clinics were mostly admitted for transsexual transition, which we now call transgender transition. From support groups, she knew that there were many more transgender people than had been counted, and she knew that there were many doctors who treated transitioning transgender people, or also did transgender genital plastic surgery, sometimes called a sex change operation. They weren't accounted for either. Conway's credentials as a world-class engineer include being the co-designer of a very high-speed integrated circuit that makes all modern computers work. There's a module in your machine right now. Being an engineer, she knew how to build a mathematical model to estimate better numbers, at least for trans women. She didn't have much information or data on trans men. As inputs, she knew how many support groups there were, the number of their membership, and he estimated the number that the membership knew. She also knew how many doctors treated transgender people and could estimate their capacity and throughput. From these and other inputs, she built her mathematical model. I won't hold you in suspense any longer. Her model results indicated that at least 1% of males in the population were transgender. 1%! That was several orders of magnitude larger than the official estimates. Her results for transitioning people indicated that they were at least a tenth of a percent of the male population. And of those, one quarter had completed transition with genital plastic surgery. This was a shocker to those in the transgender community who heard about Conway's work. At least one percent of the male populations were, were transgender. It was over a million people, and the U.S. equivalent to the population of Dallas, Texas, or the entire state of Hawaii or the entire state of New Hampshire. And that didn't count any of the trans men who were assigned female at birth. This meant that there were over 100,000 transitioning transgender people, of which at least a quarter had completed transition. These numbers were lower statistical bounds, meaning 
that the actual numbers were undoubtedly higher. There were two general reactions to this from transgender people who knew about these results. Some felt elated because they knew that they were not alone. They were no longer freaks of nature. Others felt bad because they felt like they had lost their uniqueness because they were no, no longer rare. My reaction was that being transgender had to involve biology. There was no way that a phenomenon so widespread could be due to some local human invention. I had suspected this for a long time, since I intended my nuts and sluts undergraduate abnormal psychology class at Dartmouth. There wasn't much information, but I did find out that being transgender occurs all around the world, wherever Western culture reaches. From a scientific point of view, knowing the population frequency of being transgender allows us to make all sorts of comparisons. One we've already done is to establish a genetic factor using twin study results. A comparison between the population frequencies at 1% and the observed frequencies of identical twin transgender inheritance at 50% is a big difference. Oh, I forgot to tell you that Professor Lynn Conway, now Emerita at the University of Michigan, is a trans woman. She didn't receive all the credit she was due when she ended up in the modern computer while at IBM because she was still in stealth mode as transgender but she sure is pulling in the engineering awards now. So what about estimates since 2000? Since then, survey data has been used to come up with new estimates. There are some surveys which ask directly about being transgender, but most of the estimates come from surveys done for other purposes. How do these estimates stack up with those of Conway? I know you just want the facts, so I'll hit the high spots. First, there are about 20 research reports from clinics. All of them show very low population frequencies, but that's to be expected because most transgender people never go to clinics. Most transgender people never see a mental health professional, and the clinics usually don't take in the diff difficult cases anyway. About 40% of the people treated by clinics have more than one thing going on, including medical problems. And as we saw in the last podcast, many of the children in gender clinics are not transgender at all but rather pre-homosexual kids. So results from clinics are not representative of those transgender people in the wild, so to speak. Overall, current survey results support Lynn Conway's estimates for trans women. But in addition, current surveys also show that the number of trans men is also significant. It's about a half of 1% or about half that of trans women. Very few start or complete transgender transition about a one-hundredth of a percent. The differences in population frequencies between trans women and trans men is closing fast. The numbers for trans men transition are low, which is understandable because surgical results are not as acceptable as those for trans women. But that also is changing, and it may change precipitously once penile transplant procedures have been perfected. Already there have been three successful operations. The most recent was sponsored by the U.S. military and was performed at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. There are now at least 80 injured U.S. male service members awaiting penile transplants, so there is pressure to make this operation succeed. What about the future surveys and estimates? Well, don't hold your breath. The U.S. administration has already dropped collection of transgender data from the 2020 census. They've also dropped it from the CDC Youth Risk Assessment Survey, 
which would address suicide attempts. Imagine dropping transgender kids from such a survey when they have one of the highest rates of attempted suicide. They are currently threatening to cut transgender questions from the National Survey of Older Americans, which is me. And they're also threatening to cut the CDC Behavior Risk Factor Surveillance Survey. The latter CDC survey is the best data source currently available. Estimates of population frequencies from that survey have jumped in the past two years from three-tenths of a percent to seven-tenths of a percent of the population. That number combines both trans women and trans men. So the combined numbers are rapidly approaching Conway's numbers for trans women alone. Just as IBM had ignored Conway's contributions to computer engineering until recently, health providers and demographers pretty much ignored her numbers until now. Maybe it was because they were unfamiliar with the mathematics she used, or maybe she just did not have the time to join their subcultures, or maybe it was because she was transgender. Whatever the reasons, everyone's trying to catch up with her now, almost 18 years later. It's sometimes difficult to remember numbers over the radio without visuals to help. The only number you really need to remember is that at least 1% of the population are transgender. If you are transgender, you are 1 in 100. In the next episode, I will answer the theocratic arguments of Ryan Anderson in his book, When Harry Became Sally, with my scientific reply, which is, Harry always was Sally.